Good morning, everybody. It's not too early to say happy Thanksgiving, is it? If it is, I'll say it again next week and I'll put it on the right weekend. Uh, yeah, I love this week. One of my favorite weeks of the year, Thanksgiving week. If we've not met, my name is Brian McCoy, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you've joined us online through our live stream, we're grateful that you're with us. If you're not part of Foothills Baptist Church, but you've found us out there, we would love to know that you're here. And uh, hey, let us know. Write us an email. Send us a, a note. And uh, let us know how God is at work in your life or how we might be able to serve you. We would love that information. Let's open the Bible together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Uh, today, we're going to finish. We're finishing 1 Thessalonians. We've been doing this uh, since August, right? We started in August, and we're finishing this morning with this final bit. On the screen there uh, behind me is a picture of Mabel Solomon. She's kind of cutie, isn't she? Mabel Solomon. Mabel is standing in front of a pile of debris in her parents' New York City apartment. Uh, when they signed up to renovate that apartment, uh, the contractor said, I'm going to need 70 to 90 days. That's, a, that's plenty of window. So her mom and dad went out and rented a place nearby so they could kind of keep an eye on the renovation. And they rented it for three months, and they moved out. About two weeks into the renovation, around mid-March, uh, Mabel's mom and dad got a text from a member of the building's co-op board. Your renovation has been frozen. I'm talking about March of 2020, you might imagine, COVID had interrupted their plans. The New York Times actually ran an entire article about many families in the city during that time that were renovating their homes, their apartments, and this is what they wrote. In these uncertain times, homeowners stopped mid-renovation can be certain of two things. The project is going to stretch months beyond what they had planned, and the cost will be far more than they anticipated. Now, you could probably say, well, I've done renovation on my home and there wasn't COVID, and both of those things were true. <laughs> they kind of tend to be that way at times. But that was certainly true during this COVID crisis. And, and I think the truth of the matter is that in, in, in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, there can be seasons where it feels as if this process of becoming like Jesus, uh, looking more and more like Jesus, growing spiritually is taking a lot longer than we would have ever anticipated, and it's costing us more than we would have ever perhaps considered from the beginning. But that's what this thing called sanctification does. It, it, it kind of works in our lives that way. Today we're going to finish this letter from Paul. In the first three chapters of the letter, he commends these people who are basically new believers. They've been Christians for about a year in this northern Greek city. Uh, but they had exemplary faith. I mean, they had become models of Christian faith and a model church to others. And so he was talking a lot about that, commending them. And he, he just kind of gushed, really, about his love for them how they were his joy and his glory. And one day he said, you're going to be my crown when Christ comes again. You're the ones I want to see there. I want to be part of that. And so he loved them greatly. But then in chapters 4 and 5, he pivots and he begins to exhort them and challenge them to excel more and more in some particular virtues like faith and love and hope. And he talks to them about what it looks like to Become more like Jesus. He says, it's God's will for you to be sanctified, right, in chapter 4, verse 1. And he tells them how that should look in their life in a lot of different ways. Last week, we saw 17 different commands that he gave them, all of them intended to demonstrate what spiritual growth and maturity looks like in a 
person who's following Jesus. It's the will of God to sanctify us. But often it takes more time, more adjustments of our heart and our minds and our lives than we would have ever thought we were willing to pay, as it were, that we were willing to invest. And so then Paul closes in these last few verses. And as he closes, he prays for them and he gives them a promise. And that's how the text really breaks down for us and that's what we'll look at today. And in the midst of all of this, he gives them uh, this word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of promise. Basically, he's saying to them, don't lose heart in the struggle today because on that day, he will make what's unfinished glorious. That's what the text is about today. So let's look at it. Let's read it together and then we'll pray and get into it. Paul writes to them, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, we thank you that uh, for the last uh, few weeks we've been able to look over Paul's shoulder, as it were, over the shoulder of those Thessalonians and read their, the letter that they received from him. And now we come to the end and we see how he signs off with this prayer and this promise, this word of blessing. And so, Lord, this morning as we look into your word, we pray that uh, you would speak to us just as you did to those early believers in Thessalonica. And that we would know that Jesus is praying for us, for our sanctification. And we would know that this promise is as good today as it was on the day that Paul penned it. Father, help us as we read the scriptures and as we study them today, that we'd take them to heart, that we would submit all of our lives to you, our spirit, our soul, and our body, that you would thoroughly sanctify us so that one day, on that day, what's unfinished about all of us and how we grieve some of those unfinished parts and places that all of those unfinished things in our lives would be made complete, that they would be made glorious. We thank you for this promise, and we pray that you'd help us as we study today together. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's the prayer, a complete, uh, comprehensive sanctification of God's people. That's what Paul's praying in verse 23. And we've talked about sanctification. It means to be made holy. It also means to be set apart. On the negative side of things, it means to be set apart from sin. That as people who know Jesus and are following Jesus, our, our lives are being separated from sin. Sinful inclinations, sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful actions. That we're to be set apart from that kind of thing. But positively, we're to be set apart to God for Him, for His purposes and His design in the world. Everything that God wants to accomplish in your heart and mind, in your life, that's what we're set apart to. Have you ever gone to a really nice restaurant one evening and uh, want to get in, you know, you want to have dinner. It's 5.30, 6 o'clock. And you know it might be a little tough, but you walk in there hoping, right? And you see the hostess there and you walk up and you say, table for two, please. And near the back of the room, you see this empty table there. The place is, is full, it's buzzing. 
servers are out and about, and you think, man, that's a, that's a great spot. I can't wait. But she looks down at her book. She doesn't look over her shoulder. She just looks at her book, and she looks up, and she says, I'm sorry, sir. We can't seat you now. Can you come back at 930? Well, who eats dinner at 930 except for 20-year-olds? You can't sit there. She doesn't even bother to look over her shoulder to check. Why? Because as you look again at that table longingly, you see that discreet little sign that says reserved. Reserved. There it is. That's not your table. It's someone else's table. It belongs to somebody else. It's been set apart for somebody else. And in, this, in that sense, we have this reserved sign on our lives from God. He's reserved us. He's marked us out for his purposes and his work in our lives and in the world. And so we belong to him. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, what, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are God's. We belong to him. We've been set apart for God and his purposes. That's what it means to be sanctified, to have this reserved sign set over your life. You belong to your Father in heaven. The word completely, that he might sanctify you completely. As far as I can tell, it's only used in this spot in the New Testament, but it, it refers to something that reaches the end or reaches the goal for which it was intended. And I know that there are times and there are days in our lives as followers of Jesus when we wonder, where in the world is this headed? Where am I going? Is this process ever going to get done? And it is going to be finished. It is going to be completed in that sense. But it's difficult, right? We run into struggles from in our own hearts and from the world around us. It's difficult, but there's an end to which we're pressing. And Paul is praying for them that this sanctification that God is doing in them will be finished. Even the best Christians I know are a work in progress. We're still fighting sin. We're still fighting the fight of faith in every part of our lives. But sanctification is more than just God setting us apart to himself. It's God changing us into the image of his son, transforming our lives. We're not just merely set apart over here and now we live different lives. Our hearts are literally being transformed. I want you to think about it this way. We're all created in the image of God. We're made in God's image. And yet sin has distorted that image in all of us. But the process of sanctification is here to renew that in us, the image of God, so that it might be seen clearly in all of our lives to restore that image. Paul wrote it like this to the Romans. He said, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the finish line. That's, that's what we're running for. That's what we're climbing toward, to look more and more like Jesus. So Paul prays that that work will be finished, and it feels like at times three steps forward and two steps back, and it becomes hard. But Paul's believing that God will finish this work. It's going to be completed. But not just finished, like when you break the tape and it's done, but it'll be thorough. Do you see that? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, that he'll finish that work, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, your whole spirit, soul, and body, in other words, thoroughly sanctified. Think about it like this, not, no thought uh, untransformed, no desire in your heart unchanged, no action that you've ever taken in your life unredeemed. When he uses that phrase, your spirit, soul, and body, 
He's not teaching human anatomy. He's teaching theology. He's talking about the thoroughness of sanctification. There isn't going to be a single part of you and I that's untouched by this amazing work of God. He's making us like Jesus thoroughly. You remember all those commands that Paul gave to these people about sexual purity, about aspiring to live lives that were extraordinary, to work hard and to love one another more and more. He, he talked about grieving, but yet having hope in the resurrection of Jesus. He talked about walking through this world soberly, spiritually speaking. He talked about the fact that we're children of the day, children of light. Our lives ought to really look different and be different. He told them to respect and esteem their leaders and to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and to do good to everyone, to be joyful, prayerful, grateful people in all circumstances, particularly in the most difficult kinds of circumstances, to be those kinds of people and to not quench the work of the Spirit, which is tied inextricably to the Word of God, to prophecy, so that when you hear God's Word, you hold fast to what is good and you abstain from every form of evil. When you hear those commands again, or you maybe read through them again last week, do you find yourself struggling with any of those? Any of those hard? Any of those difficult? Are you checking off all those regularly, consistently in your life? I'm not. I don't think any of us are, not if we're honest with ourselves. We just don't. Does that mean I get a pass on obeying them? Because God's gracious. So I don't really have to be concerned with keeping God's commands. That's, that's not true either. But imagine that one day, because of the work of Christ and what he's done for us, that one day by the power of God, all of those things are going to be finished in you. All of that work is going to be finished. And they're going to be thoroughly true of your character and your heart one day. Paul prays for that, that we'll be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. You know how important that is? When Jesus comes again, how is he going to come? He's going to come in perfect holiness. He's going to come to gather his people to himself, and he's going to come to judge the world. So either I'm one of his people and brought into his family in that moment, or I'm not, and I'll receive judgment. To be kept blameless means that I escape judgment and I receive the grace fully in that moment of becoming part of his family, of belonging to him. Because apart from God keeping us blameless, we wouldn't be able to stand the day Jesus returns. We'd be swept away in judgment just like everyone else who's refused to surrender to Jesus as king, who's refused to repent of sin, who's refused to trust in his work on the cross to save them being kept blameless at the coming of Christ. That's Paul's prayer. He's praying for a complete, thorough, comprehensive kind of sanctification. And then he gives them a promise, right? He said, our God is faithful, and he will surely do it. May the God of peace himself do this, right? I, I love that verse. Paul, through the Spirit, is exhorting these believers, and he gives them all these commands, one after the other. It feels very weighty, but then he gives them this promise. He's telling them, there, it's, it's not in us to do this on our own. God himself is going to accomplish it. It's God himself that's going to sanctify you. And who is he? He's the God of peace. And that's a big deal to Paul. Paul begin, You can probably just turn one page over like me in my Bible. He starts this letter with peace. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 13, he, he says, be at peace among yourselves. And then right here, the God of peace is going to, to do this. He's going to accomplish it. Why does peace matter? Because peace is the shalom of God. It, that's the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew word for peace. The shalom of God. What does it mean? It means to be perfectly integrated as a person. To be together in every way. To be whole. To be healthy. To be beautiful in that sense. In the, in the image of God. That's shalom. Shalom is the way things ought to be. I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a couple of years ago, we preached from Genesis chapter 3, and I talked about the fact that the world is not as it should be. Things are not as they ought to be. We all know that. I don't want to belabor that this morning. We know that we're not as we should be. And even as desperately as we want things to change in our lives, we're our own worst enemy. Every time we look in the mirror, there's a heart that needs desperate changing. And it can't happen on our own. We need the God of peace to do that, to integrate us perfectly, to make us whole and healthy, and in the end, glorious. And that's the promise, that he's going to do that. Because God himself is all of those things, this God of peace. He's all of those things, and he's going to make us like his son. That's what Paul's telling us. On that day, you're going to be perfectly together. There's not going to be any sin in your life. There's not going to be any disease affecting your life. If you have some sort of physical disability, it's going to be gone. For all eternity, your life is going to be utterly different and changed and transformed. You're going to be glorious. Some people think of holiness in not so wonderful kinds of terms, right? Think of holiness as somebody that's got that kind of holier-than-thou attitude, just an obnoxious superiority, and they walk around with their nose in the air, and they think of other people as kind of beneath them, but that's not what holiness is. Some people think that holiness is the opposite to happiness. Can't be holy and happy at the same time. Got to have some indulgences here or there in my life. But man, is that a misunderstanding of what holiness is, of what sanctification is? Because as a human being made in the image of God, we are not all that God intended us to be apart from a relationship with the God who made us, apart from being redeemed from the God who made us. And when we are redeemed, he begins to work in us this process of sanctification so that we reach that ultimate end for which we were made. And it's a struggle today. But he's going to finish it in us. And we don't struggle on our own. He's with us all the way. I, I love the fact that the Bible declares that God is one who dwells in the splendor of holiness. That's how we ought to think about holiness. It's an amazing, wonderful, beautiful, glorious thing. And its character ought to sink deep into our hearts and make us different people. And so when we're transformed more and more into the character of Jesus, there ought to be an attractiveness that comes over our lives. Because his character becomes more ours. We start to look more like Jesus. It shapes our lives. And we start to reflect the beauty and the glory, the goodness of his holiness with every part of our lives. God calls us to sanctification. That's what Paul is, is saying here, right? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. If there's any question about whether or not he would do it, he, he puts it all away throughout this letter. There is one God, our Heavenly Father, and there is the Lord Jesus Christ who came and lived a sinless life, who gave his life in our place on the cross, who rose from the dead three days later. As surely as Jesus is alive from the dead, ascended to the Father, he will return. And when he returns, this is going to be done. 
Just as surely as Jesus said, it is finished from the cross, and through his sacrifice on the cross, our sins could be paid for. There's going to be an it is finished at the end. And all of this work of sanctification is going to be through. And it will happen through and through all of us. He's promised to do it. Sanctification doesn't rest on your moral ability uh, or your strength of character. But it does require that we get engaged and that we get after it. But it comes ultimately from a faithful Heavenly Father, a God of peace, who has promised to do this work in us. If you're a Christian watching or in this room this morning and you're weary of doing good and it's difficult and you know you struggle with one thing or another, keep up the struggle and know that you don't do it on your own. The God of peace is with you and in you and he's working to sanctify you thoroughly, completely. Don't lose heart in the struggle today because on that day he will make what's unfinished in you and in me glorious. I want to give us three implications out of this text this morning. First, take your sanctification as seriously as your heavenly Father does. Take it as seriously as your heavenly Father does. Holiness isn't an add-on to your life as a Christian. It's not something you, you pay for and you just, you know, it's not an add-on. It's not optional. It is part of the nature of salvation. You're called to it. In, in chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness, to sanctification. There's a, there's a calling in your life, and God's given it. Jesus did not die in our place for our sins, by the way, just so we could be forgiven. He did all of that so that he could make for himself a holy people. That's why he died on the cross. And so today, you can begin to reflect that nature of Jesus as you walk with him. Do you take your sanctification as seriously as your Father does in heaven who has called you to it? And don't, don't get it confused, right? Uh, we, we don't seek to be holy. We don't seek to live holy lives in order to be forgiven. We're forgiven. But because we are forgiven, because we have tasted of his grace, then our lives are starting to turn and being transformed, and we want to live in a way that pleases him more and more. That's exactly what Paul said in chapter 4. So we pursue holiness. The fight matters. It's necessary. As we were praying before this service, someone quoted the book of Hebrews, right? That apart from holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's serious business to long for holiness, to live holy lives, even in this moment. And so we're called to do that. And one day God will finish it. How will he finish it? Here's a second implication. I think he finishes it primarily, chiefly, in the context of a local church. So the second implication is this. Be committed to each other's sanctification. Every bit is committed to one another's sanctification as you are to your own, as your heavenly Father is to yours. Be committed to one another. You probably thought I just forgot about those other verses. Brothers, pray for us. Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read before everyone. That, I think, is where these verses come in, that we would be committed to each other's sanctification. And I think Paul's logic makes sense. You can see it. It's apparent. If it is ultimately God who sanctifies us, and he's going to do it, then in the same way that Paul prays for them, that God would finish it and do it thoroughly, he's asking them to pray for him. 
that God would finish that work in him and do it thoroughly. Brothers, pray for us. It would be a little bit like you and me exhorting someone or encouraging someone in their walk of faith in Jesus. And even as we're writing, we're saying, man, I need this too. That's, I think, the spirit that you hear Paul operating out of when he writes these words. It's a reciprocal relationship that we have in the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters together. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Remember when we used to shake hands? <laughs> Remember when you used to get a hug? At least from Yemi. You get a hug from Yemi. If you don't know who Yemi is, you need to show up to church, right? And you'll learn pretty quickly. Yeah, I remember when we did this. I, I suppose this, this, this urging from Paul was pre-plague, pre-COVID, all of that, right? But you, you get it, remember, sit it in the context. You, you understand this, right? He's been separated them, from them for a long time, for a, a year at least. And he's writing to them, and brothers, pray for us. And hey, greet, greet the brothers with a holy kiss. It would be like, are there any grandparents in the room? You know what I'm talking about? We don't ever write letters anymore. But if you're writing an email or if you're signing off, oh, you hug those grandbabies for me. Have you ever said that to a son or a daughter? That's the, that's the affection that's coming out of Paul. Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. It was a, it was a common practice, right? Christians would greet one another. They'd kiss one another maybe on the cheek or on the forehead. I went to, I went to Russia many years ago on a mission trip, and, and they, would, they would literally, they still were doing this. It was a little disconcerting, I'm not going to lie, because uh, they wouldn't just kiss you on the cheek or the forehead. They'd just plant it right on your mouth. Men and women alike. It was a little, it was, yeah. I'm not even a hugger, man, oh man. You get a good, good handshake out of me, you're getting something, all right? So, so that, was, that was a little uneasy for me. But it's, it's Paul's expression of his affection for these people. Sanctification comes within the body of Christ, so there's a level of, of family and affection for one another that has to be there. In verse 27, he puts them under oath to read this letter to all of the brothers. There's a lot of force in this. I'm putting you under oath to do this. I want everyone there to pay attention to these words, to hear them and to heed them so that they'd be part of their lives. He, you remember he, he told them in chapter two, he said, man, you received the words that we came and gave to you, not as the words of men, but as the words of God, which they are. And that's what Paul is saying here. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to heed it. Uh, let me try to encapsulate this to say that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God. This is the place where sanctification occurs within the family. We didn't choose each other. We were chosen for each other by our Heavenly Father. We belong to Christ, so we belong to the family of God, the church. And if you belong to this particular membership of a local church, if you belong to Foothills, then we're responsible for each other. And I would say we are responsible to each other. Remember all those commands, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. We're responsible to each other but also to care for one another. All of those commands make it clear that in the family of God, our allegiances have shifted and are shifting. They reorient. We're not just true to one another and invested in one another one day a week, or if you're in a group, two days a week, but every day of the week. Because the church isn't a man-made club. It's not a society. It's, it's not, listen, the PTA is never going to demand of you what the church of Christ demands of you if you're gonna be part of it. 
That club that you're part of, that association that you're part of, those kinds of things will never obligate you to the level of personal commitment that the church obligates us to if we are going to be members together of one another in the body of Christ. We have to be ready to look out for one another's sanctification to help one another grow in the likeness to Jesus. This is where the ultimate work of sanctification happens, and it, and it makes sense. Do you remember Romans 8? Let me read you the rest of that text. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul uses that term brother 16 times in 1 Thessalonians. And this is the epitome, this is the finish line for us. As we grow and mature together, as we look out for each other's sanctification, your character and my character should become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our older brother in the faith. That's, that's what the text is telling us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, though the Bible says this, that, that as Jesus looks at his people in the church, he says he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Now think about that. Jesus looks at us who are followers of Christ within the church, and he says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. How is that even possible? Because we're weak, and we're sinful, and we're not helpful to one another at times. We're just ordinary people. How is it that he can say, I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers? Because it is our Father who is transforming us every day, little by little, into the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is confident that one day that work will be finished and we will be made glorious. So take your sanctification as seriously as your father does. Be committed to one another's sanctification within the church family. And here's the third implication, quickly, rest in and rely on his grace. Because his grace is not just some future reality that we're going to experience on that day when Christ comes and we're kept blameless. But it is your present experience and present power even now. The gospel of grace is good news. We're saved by the grace of God, not by any works that we do on our own. Uh, even before you were saved, the grace of God was working. You were hearing the scriptures. You were hearing the word of God. You were watching someone's testimony, and the Spirit was working on your heart, drawing you to Christ. And when you became convicted of your sins, and you knew you needed a Savior, and you repented of your sins, and you trusted in Christ, God's grace was at work constantly, and it's never stopped working. It's working now to make you more like Jesus this is grace, unmerited, undeserved, freely given, powerful, available. Our hope is in the God of peace and the God of grace. Imagine that one day, as unfinished as we are, the grace of God will do its final work and Jesus will return. And all of that unfinished business in your heart and mind will be made glorious. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the prayer that we see that Paul prays here. I would ask you that you would make it a prayer that we pray for one another regularly as a church. And that the promises that we hear in this text, we would cling to it on those difficult days when it becomes hard and it's difficult to follow. When we're wrung out and worn out, frustrated, discouraged, and perhaps ready to throw in the towel on this thing we call the Christian life of following you because we've failed, we've sinned, we're guilty, we feel ashamed. Perhaps we've been hurt by some other believer. 
And yet you have promised to finish this work and to do it thoroughly in us. And your grace is available to us right now. And it is powerful as we walk with you. You are doing this work. Lord Jesus, thank you. We know that you're praying for us, that we would be sanctified. We know that you've done the work that needed to be done so long ago. And we look forward to the day when you return and we will be made new. Thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen.